Welcome to Intergenerational Politics with Jill Weinbanks and Victor Shi, where we host weekly political discussions that are engaging and relevant to all generations. As always, we want to thank you for listening to Intergenerational Politics. If you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts to support future episodes. And we also have a website, intergenerationalpolitics.com. I'm Victor Shi. I will be an incoming freshman at UCLA next year, and I'm also the um, youngest delegate um, in Illinois for Joe Biden. I'm also the proud co-host of this podcast. And I'm Jill Wine-Banks, the author of The Watergate Girl, based on my experiences as the only woman on the trial team during Watergate. Um, I've also had a number of other government positions, general counsel of the Army, the first woman to hold that position and the first Solicitor General of Illinois, and the first woman to be Deputy Attorney General. And I'm now the proud co-host with Victor of this podcast. And before we begin, we are also, I'm so last week when we talked to Mark Cuban, or I guess the episode that was released on Monday, um, Jill wore her intergenerational politics pin. I'm now wearing mine. Um, so we are officially matching pins and sweaters. Well, today I'm wearing a vote pin because our conversation is going to be with Valerie Jarrett, and we're going to be talking about voting. I'm going to try to get close enough so that you can, it says vote, but maybe we'll publish a uh, picture of it on our website. Um, and today, we're only 17 days away from Election Day. And given the importance of turnout for this election, we want to make sure that as many voters as possible, especially young voters, um, can understand why it's important. And we're honored to have with us the perfect guest for that topic, Valerie Jarrett. Valerie was the longest serving senior advisor to President Barack Obama. She oversaw the offices of public engagement and intergovernmental affairs and chaired the White House Council for Women and Girls. She is currently a board member of an organization that our favorite first lady, Michelle Obama, founded and co-chairs. It's called When We All Vote. The organization strives to increase civic engagement among the younger generation and my generation as well, all generations. And it reflects the very premise of this podcast. So she is the perfect guest today. We plan to talk about the importance of voting and civic engagement for all generations. And um, we know that Victor is very involved in this and will help us to do that as well. Um, we wanna know what will help motivate voters beyond Victor, who is already motivated, and to help our democracy. And we will also end with a discussion of Valerie's wonderful book, Finding My Voice. It reveals a very interesting childhood and shows how she has gone from being a shy girl growing up to the accomplished and wonderful woman who has contributed so much to our country. It's now available in paperback. Please take a time to read it. It's a wonderful read. I enjoyed it enormously. And I want to thank Valerie so much for being with us today and get on to the questions. Thank you so much for being with us today, Valerie. I want to start um, and talk a little bit about when we all vote. And just to make sure that all of our listeners and viewers know what it is, could you give a brief discussion of what it is? Well, sure, Jill. And it's a pleasure to be able to join you today. I'm 
delighted to talk about when we all vote. Uh, after the last presidential election back in 2016, former First Lady Michelle Obama was really troubled by the fact that 100 million eligible Americans did not vote in the last election. And we know that there are examples of voter suppression, either in the laws or the practices and the policies. But what was worrying her was, well, what about the people who are disenfranchising themselves? And what can we do to change the culture in our country around voting? And so she decided to launch When We All Vote. She asked me to chair this board. And the intent is in a nonpartisan way to reach people where they are and particularly focus on the age gap and the race gap. Um, age, because we know that in disproportionately high numbers, young people don't vote and look, they've got the most to lose, right? And the evidence also shows that if they vote in their first election, the likelihood of them becoming lifelong voters goes up. And we know for people of color, it has always been an impediment to vote. Uh, again, back to the laws and the practices and the policies. And so that's what we've been doing the last couple of years. We were hoping to have big rallies and get people excited, uh, but then the pandemic hit. And so we've had to be more creative and we've done a lot of events online virtually. ABC did a special um, dedicated to When We All Vote. The West Wing has one coming up this week on oh. HBO Max. We've been meeting um, all kinds of celebrities who have been excited about the prospects of encouraging people to vote. And the final point I'd make about When We All Vote, Jill, is, is that it isn't about one election or certainly not any one candidate since we're nonpartisan, but it is to say that every election matters. And this horrific year where we've been hit both by a global pandemic and the racial reckoning that is way long overdue, in my opinion, demonstrations in all 50 states, mostly peaceful people of all ages and backgrounds and races coming together to say we can do better. And then the COVID where we've seen these disparate impacts, particularly on communities of color. So in a sense, it's been a painful civics lesson about how important the mayor, the prosecutor, the state legislature, the governor, uh, the county board executives, and certainly Congress, it's supposed to be a check and balance to the executive branch. All these levels of government affect our lives and our livelihood, and we should care who's in office representing us. Well, that certainly fits with the purpose of today's show and of another one we're doing, which is about the importance of down-ballot races, yes. where we think it matters. Uh, maybe you want to comment on that a little bit. Yes, they all matter. And as I, as I outlined, when you think about just the many ways in which elected officials affect our, affect our lives, touch our lives, can improve them or make them more challenging, down ballot is important. I think, um, hearkening back to my days when I had the privilege of working in the White House, I think there were folks who thought, well, President Obama can do everything on his own. Well, no, actually, he needs members of Congress who are working with him. Uh, the members of Congress and the delegations, they need to know that at the state and local level in their districts and in their states, there are elected officials who, with whom they can partner. And so all of these different levels of government affect, them, affect us in, in ways large and small. And so we should be educated voters. And it takes a month. It takes a minute. I was Illinois, Chicago, where I'm from. I voted absentee um, at the end of last week. Uh, and there are a lot of judges running for office. Well, you know what? I had to do my homework and find out about their records. And it required some effort on my part, worth every minute. Thank you for that answer. That's terrific. I want to follow up on, you mentioned um, about Michelle Obama starting the When We All Vote. Um, but I want to talk about something that 
President Obama said right after the uh, Trump election at the Economic Club in Chicago. And he was asked by someone about what advice he would give to people in attendance who are much older than our audience. And one of our goals is to motivate young voters and to reach out to them with what the issues are and how they should think about it. But he said that what you had to do was to be informed, which fits with what you just said, and to be involved and to get out the vote. And so that's what we're trying to do. But what advice would you have for younger voters like Victor? This is his first presidential election. Oh, congratulations, Victor. Thank you. I, I haven't voted yet, but I, I plan on voting, um, plan on voting early. So that should be happening within the next couple of weeks. Well, Victor, what you said is what I would recommend. Everybody of all ages, you need to make a plan. Yeah. Again, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. It's more challenging to vote. We saw those long lines during the primaries of people waiting to vote where they're having to choose between their health and, and putting themselves in the path of this virus versus exercising that fundamental right. So make a plan now. And if you want to vote, for example, absentee, and there's no evidence of vote fraud with absentee voting, then request your ballot like yesterday. It took me about eight days to get it. And I know it's going to take a while to get back. Yeah. We did not see Congress allocate the additional resources that they should have to the Postal Service to accommodate what we know is going to be an influx in absentee ballots. So do not mail it on the last day. Make it easier for everybody by mailing it in early. If you want to vote early, we'll find out when are you eligible to vote early in your city and where is your precinct. And also importantly, just because you registered to vote in the last election, this doesn't apply to you, Victor, but if people who have registered to vote already, don't presume you are still on the rolls. Check and confirm that you're registered. Make a plan, and if at all possible, do not wait until election day. Even when we weren't in a pandemic, things come up. And young people, you know, something, if you're in school, you might have a final exam you need to prepare for or take, or you oversleep, you get, you forget. <laughs> and we can't afford to forget. This is, I think, the most important election of our lifetime. Uh, and I think we have seen so much activism around the country, which I think is good, peaceful activism. But we also need to translate that into the momentum to show up at the polls. We saw just yesterday on the news, long lines, people waiting 10 hours to vote. It's a sacrifice, which is why we're asking employers, please give your workforce time off to vote. Don't dock them if they can't get there and back in two hours, because then the pressure of needing that income is going to cut against them exercising this, this uh, important right. So we want employers in here participating, making it easy for people to take as much time. I say take a folding chair, take a picnic basket, make sure that you recognize that it may be um, uncomfortably long, but it's worth it. The stakes are so high. What you don't want to do is wake up after the election is over and your candidate loses and you didn't vote. You don't get to complain if you don't vote. Right. Oh, my God. Very true. Yeah, go ahead, Joe. Victor, why didn't you go on about the civic engagement question? Sure. So, yeah, so, you know, we've talked so much about how youth civic engagement is important. And before I get to that, though, um, speaking about like giving time off, I was just scrolling through my high school website yesterday and I noticed that um, they are now giving election day off. I think that's a new Illinois state law, but um, now um, all students have election day off, which made me really happy yesterday. Um, 
But I guess just going into civic engagement and why it's so critical for young people to, um, you know, become the leaders of today and tomorrow, I just want to quickly highlight um, some statistics from 2016, which showed that um, youth voter turnout was about 46% among um, young people, so about ages 18 to um, 35, which stands at a much lower rate than the boomer and the older voter turnout, which was about 70%. Um, and, you know, statistics from the 2018 midterm election show that we have, um, you know, we have seen improvements um, in voter and youth voter turnout, but obviously we have more work to do to increase that number. Um, you're doing a lot of work when it comes to when we all vote to ensure that we do uh, mobilize the young voter uh, turnout in this election. So I guess first, what are you and when we all vote doing to increase youth voter turnout to match that kind of older demographic age category? Because there does seem to be this kind of uh, disconnect when it comes to yes. voter turnout when it, th those like key demographics. You're absolutely Victor, right, Victor. There is a, that gap. And so what we're doing is trying to find people who young people will listen to. They may not listen to me. They may not listen to Mrs. Obama, but they might listen to their favorite rock star or they might listen to um, their, their classmates. And so one of the things we've been doing is organizing on the ground um, of cohorts that are influencers. And so, for example, high school students. We have a group of high school ambassadors from around the country who are working to register their classmates. Peer pressure is very influential. We're doing the exact same thing at colleges and universities, letting them go and talk to their classmates and, and try to motivate them to appreciate why this is important. And then we have a whole array of co-chairs who are popular in their own right, who are trying to meet people where they are. And, and Victor, we would love for you to be one of those influencers. Go and talk to anyone who cares passionately about this issue. Everyone in your network you should touch. Um, don't leave a single person untouched because it is often as simple as just a gentle prod will get people motivated. And if the gentle prod doesn't do it, then do it again and do it again and do it again and keep on at it because the stakes are so high. Um, and so I think the real key to answer your question is you have to find people who can be influential and your peers or a celebrity or a politician who you admire. You see both President Obama, who's the most popular person in the Democratic Party. He's out there trying to motivate people. The special we mentioned in ABC, we had people on both sides of the aisle, from Arnold Schwarzenegger to Michelle Obama, to uh, to display the fact <laughs> that this to Ann Romney, to Cindy McCain, so that this isn't partisan. And, and the people who do have a high degree of respect generally are going to be able to make an influence um, on the folks that we're trying to target. So your suggestions about who are the right people and your willingness to get involved yourself, Victor, that's the most powerful tool we have. For sure. Well, and Victor is very involved and is doing everything in his power and tr the, through this podcast, of course, we're trying to reach my generation and his and everybody Perfect. in between. So, well, and you know what? Young people can be very influential on their parents and their grandparents, mm -hmm. and parents and grandparents can help motivate young people. So that's why I wanted to come here with both of you, Jill and Victor, because I think this is the perfect way of broadening our reach. Mm -hmm. So, and Victor has influenced his parents. They were Republicans, but they are voting differently this year. Um, yes, fortunately, <laughs> one one issue that is special to this election, uh, aside from all the other things that are special, is that poll workers have traditionally been my generation. And because of COVID, there is a real risk to them in serving in that 
capacity. So we're needing to make the younger generation realize that they have an opportunity to serve in this capacity and to help voting, both early voting and on the day of November 3rd. Is there anything that um, when we all vote is doing to try to get the message out for people who are physically capable, younger people, to take on those roles that seniors used to hold? Yes, we've been working on this for several weeks now, kicking it off with National uh, Poll Worker Registration Day, trying to get 250,000 additional people to commit to do this. For just this reason, we don't want senior citizens who often do occupy this important job putting themselves at risk. And so we're trying to get a lot of young people to get out there and we've been very successful. I think people were just not aware that they were needed. And when you put out that call to action, the response has been good, but we should continue that effort to make sure we have enough poll watchers out there. Folks Excellent. Are there other jobs that people like Victor who really want to do more uh, that they can get engaged in? Well, sure. I would say if you have a candidate, candidates right now have hotlines available where you could make calls into the community where you're from or to another community where they're trying to get votes. Since we know that presidential elections, for example, tend to boil down to battleground states. If you're not in one of those battleground states, you should offer your services to make those important phone calls. There's not a lot of door knocking going on. And I think that's sensible in this environment, but social media is a platform too. So reaching out to folks over um, social media, I think would be really, really helpful right now. It's a wonderful way of broadening our reach and yeah, and, a, a, and making people aware that we do have this, um, this need for people. For folks, Victor, a little older than you perhaps, um, voter protection is a good way for lawyers to volunteer to make sure that our elections are fair and safe uh, and that the integrity is intact. And so again, there are many organizations that are um, soliciting lawyers to help with voter protection. So there's lots that we can do to volunteer, and I would encourage everybody to get involved. Even if you just make one phone call, it could be an influential one. Yeah. One of my um, favorite quotes, or I guess it's a hashtag that my um, AP government teacher kind of came up with is um, the hashtag civics lifestyle. And that's something that he always tells his government students that it's like, you know, you can make a phone call, you can make a text, um, but just treat civics like it's a lifestyle, you know, get involved. And I, you know, that quote has stuck with me um, throughout my four years in high school. And I know that will continue to um, be with me as we head into the selection and beyond. Um, and I think it's a it's great excellent. hashtag. Yeah, it's absolutely excellent. Because I think Another piece of what we are trying to do through When We All Vote is to talk about civic engagement more broadly. Mm -hmm. So for example, we need people volunteering, getting the word out about the census. People don't appreciate how influential the census is in our daily lives. Um, everybody who is a part of this great country should feel a responsibility to make it more perfect. And in our country's history, it has only gotten better when ordinary people make up their mind that they're gonna do extraordinary things, uh, which is within all of our power to do. So voting is like the bare minimum, I think of your responsibility as a citizen here, but then it's, well, what else can I do to be supportive in my community, to make our country better, to ensure that nobody gets left behind? And that could be tutoring at your local elementary or school or high school, showing up at a block club, donating blood when they're in the middle of a pandemic. There's so much that we can do for the greater good. And I believe that people in our country are basically really good. And sometimes they just need you to show them the way. And, and I think this podcast and a lot of our efforts is helpful in giving people that roadmap that they need. So I think 
that is a perfect segue to our next topic, which is talking about your latest book, um, Finding My Voice, which is available in paperback edition um, on Amazon and other websites for our audience to purchase. Um, you know, in your book, it's just so inspiring. You talk a lot about your journey in politics, you know, having to overcome many of those racial and gender barriers that existed during the 60s and unfortunately, I think, continue to exist today. Um, and your advocacy in ensuring women's rights and equality as well as civil rights once you um, got to the White House and as you continue to do now. Um, like I said, you have such an inspiring story in public service. So what advice would you give to my generation who look to accomplish successful women like you and wonder, how can I find my voice and speak truth to power um, when we look around in our country and think, you know, it's just so polarized, so divisive, um, you know, how, how can we even make a difference? Practice and be optimistic about your power. Uh, I did start out, Victor, very, very shy as a child for a whole range of reasons. And it took me until I started working in local government to discover the power of my voice advocating for people who for all too long had not had a voice at the table. And it was so much easier for me to do it for somebody else than to do it for myself. And I think that we all have to kind of listen to the quiet voice. I talk about that a lot in my book inside of each of us and discover where our passions lie and then have the courage to pursue them. And I, I changed the subtitle from the paperback to say when the perfect plan fumbles, the adventure begins. And I think in my career, when I look back on the multiple chapters that I've had, they make perfectly good sense now. At the time, I was always terrified. And what I had to discover was not, not to be fearless, but courage is overcoming your fear and taking a chance, a calculated risk, to do what is against the grain, what everybody is telling you maybe not to do. But in your heart, you know it's right. And I want people to trust those instincts. And the other, the other um, big point I think I would make is, is that don't be so busy looking for the next job that you're not doing a really good job in the job that you have. And you never know who's watching. And don't be afraid to ask for more responsibility. Don't be afraid to say, I think I deserve a promotion. That's something I learned to do. And build relationships with people when you're just going into um, your profession because they could turn into amazing contacts to have and enriched, and they will enrich your life. They are the elixir of life. And I think about having met Michelle Robinson, now former First Lady Michelle Obama, when she wasn't that much older than you, Victor. She'd just been out of law school a couple of years, and I hired her to work with me in the mayor's office in Chicago. And I didn't look at her as just somebody working in the mayor's office. I learned her story. I listened to her story. She listened to my story. And we became friends and we care about each other. And I also would say to young people, there isn't any opportunity I've had in life that didn't come out of a relationship I had with someone else. And so take the time to not only work really hard and ask for more responsibility and do all of that, but make yourself vulnerable by letting people know who you are, what makes you tick. And that my mentees and I have a country full of mentees that I've met along the way. But what they all share in common is that their willingness to be vulnerable, their willingness to open up and tell me their story. And that's what made me care about them. And I think that's when doors begin to open for you. So before Victor gets to the last question, I just wanted to add something that I was motivated to say, listening to you. One is your advice is pitch perfect, totally agree with everything you're saying. But the first time that I met Michelle Obama, which I'm sure she will never remember, 
I had just taken over as the head of career and technical education for the Chicago Public Schools. And she and her boss uh, at the University of Chicago came in to talk about a program where we could have our medical training students do some sort of internship at the University of Chicago Hospital. Mm-hmm. And I this was a long time ago before Barack and Michelle were household names. And it's Chicago where most politicians are Irish. When I met her, my notes, which I found when I retired from CPS, I was deciding what to keep and not keep. And I opened my very first notebook of notes from meetings. And she was the first meeting I had. And her name was spelled Michelle O apostrophe Bama, because I assumed yes. she was Irish. So um, I've never told her that story. That's but, a great story. Yeah, it, it was, it was, anyway, Victor, back to real business. Wow. That, oh my God. Um, so I guess, to, so to draw this discussion to an end, um, I think we're all having deep levels of anxiety with the perpetual lack of regard this administration has for our rule of law and our democracy. And we all, I think, have nostalgia for a president like President Barack Obama. And in your book, you talk a lot about the interactions um, that you had with President Obama. So can you share what your favorite moment or encounter is with President Obama? Oh, my goodness. Well, I have so many. Okay, so now I'm taking off my When We All Vote hat, which is a nonpartisan hat, and I'm speaking to you as Valerie Jarrett, the individual who had the honor to serve in the Obama administration for eight years. And I think one of my favorite stories um, would be the night that the Affordable Care Act passed. It's relevant because we know that the Trump administration is in court right now trying to repeal the Affordable Care Act, have it held unconstitutional. And there's a lot at stake there, uh, very clearly. In fact, Senator Harris had an entire riff on this at the last debate that if you have a pre-existing condition, and over 100 million Americans do, then you are at risk. If you're worried about annual or lifetime caps on your insurance, if you have a chronic illness, you would lose that. Young people such as you, Victor, when you finish school, you can stay on your parents' plan until you're 26. That's at risk. Um, Senior citizens getting help with prescription drugs, women getting preventive care without a copay, the list goes on. And not that it's perfect, but it's a lot better than 20 million people insured through the exchanges, many who didn't have insurance before. So the night that it passed, I had gone home for the day to watch the vote on television. It was late in the evening. And I received a phone call from the president's assistant who said, could you please come back to the White House? The president wants everyone who worked on the Affordable Care Act together when it passes. And I said, oh, no, that's okay. I'm I'm home. I'm in my pajamas. I'm ready for the vote. And she said, perhaps you didn't hear me. President Obama (laughs) would like everybody who worked on the Affordable Care Act to come back. And so I was like, all right, that's all right. He is my boss, leader of the free world. I get dressed. It's only a 10 minute commute. I get back and I am there for the vote, which was really touching. I was glad I was there. And he was so excited. He announces to the room and there were about a hundred people in the Roosevelt room and out in the hall. He said, everyone come upstairs to my home and let's celebrate. Well, his private residence is really off limits for his staff, that's where the family lives. And his wife was out of town, which is how he got away with doing this. And so you could just imagine the Secret Service going renegade, which is his code name, renegade plus 100, moving to the (laughs) balcony. And I could see the butlers like looking for pigs in the blanket and where's the champagne. And it was just chaos. The point of my story is at the end of a very long celebration at about two in the morning, 
I was out on the Truman balcony, which is my favorite spot in the White House. It looks on the South Lawn, the Washington Monument, the Jefferson Memorial. You just feel like you're in the midst of our nation's history there. And I had been watching the president online. He was just euphoric. He went and he spoke to every person that was there, from the junior most person on my staff who had read letters about the Affordable Care Act and introduced him to people who told their stories, which helped to the vice president, Vice President Biden, who was such a champion for this effort. And I sidled up to him as we were looking out over the lawn and I said, you know, election night in Chicago, and for those who are listening who are from Chicago, who traveled to it or watched it on TV, unseasonably warm, million people, perfectly calm, jubilant celebration, uh, not a single incident that night. It was just, it was the perfect night. And I said, sir, how do you, comp how do you feel tonight that the Affordable Care Act has passed compared to election night. And he said, there's no comparison. Election night was simply the means to get to tonight. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference to me between a politician who's in it for themselves and a politician who's in it to see how he can be of service to our country, no matter what the political cost might be. And believe me, we paid a heavy political cost to get the Affordable Care Act into law. But today, the only reason it's still the law of today law of the land is because so many Americans spoke up when the Republicans tried to repeal it a few years ago. And that's, that's what I'm talking about. We do make a difference. Every one of us has the ability to make a difference and elect politicians who are in it for us, not for themselves. Well, that that is was the most beautiful ending yeah. to this discussion. Yeah. Um, that was a very touching and very relevant to the hearings that are going on. Uh, for the new justice of the Supreme Court, mm -hmm. uh, where, where ACA is very much front and center. So thank you for sharing that one with us. Thank you for spending the time with us and uh, good luck with all of your work. Um, well, thank we hope you, that this yeah, we thank hope that we shatter go. youth voter turnout this election. All right, Victor, I'm, <laughs> I'm thanking you in advance for all the hard work I know you're gonna do. I think oh. this podcast is a wonderful, wonderful uh, way of communicating to people so thank you both jill it's good to see you again it's great you to see terrific. you all right thank you so Bye. much We hope you enjoyed this episode of Intergenerational Politics. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to support future episodes. Thanks so much. See you in our next episode. <laughs>